Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. Expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu al Samad. So we're up to episode 39, so nearly a momentous number because round numbers and things. <laughs> Uh, Whatever. Uh, sure. Um, and Arbitrarily momentous. Right. Well, that's we as humans just ascribe meaning to things that are meaningless. Um, we tend to do that. Yeah. We're really good at it. Uh, think, and we'll talk a little bit more about ascribing meaning to meaningless stuff uh, a little <laughs> later on in the show when we <laughs> talk about the, uh, the head guy at uh, the Genesis brand. Yeah, um, I found a lot of meaning in his words. I did yeah. not think they were meaningless. Well, I, I think his words were more meaningful than than the things he was talking about. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, unless you're talking about profitability, and then they probably are meaningful. We'll we'll get there. Yeah. In, in the meantime, let's talk about what we've been driving. Uh, and, uh, you know, both of us uh, were lucky enough to spend a week with the uh, Ford F-150 Raptor. Um, so find lucky. Well, I mean, it, it it's a hell of a truck in some ways. And I will in some I, ways. Yes. I, so I dropped my son off at school uh, earlier this week with it. And I, the teachers like I had no idea women in their 50s, I think. I'll be generous. I'll say women in their 40s <laughs> um, uh, were so into badass trucks. Like I dropped my son off. I actually I dropped both kids off. So there's like two different drop off locations. Nobody cares this much about my life. Uh, so I dropped my son off first, and you know the teacher's like, "Wow, that is a that is a fancy truck. Is this new?" And I was like, "No, it's a, you know I always give the half assed explanation. Like it belongs to Ford and whatever." It's, oh, oh, do you write reviews? And then you have to explain that like yes, that's that's what I do. And then so now you're doomed for the next however many months to be talking about that with them. Um, and so I go to drop my daughter off and like the head of the school is there and she's like, this is, that's an awesome truck. <laughs> I had to go through the whole spiel again. It certainly has presence. It I absolutely does. And it was, so the one that I had was, was black and it had, you know, just kind of subtle graphics on the bed and the, the, the wheels that look like bead locks. And I mean, it's, it definitely stood out. Um, the, the one I drove was the uh, uh, pale gray. Uh, which they they've actually dropped that color for a 2018 model year, which I think is actually fine because I, I, I don't I didn't find it a particularly appealing color. You didn't like it. Um, well, I thought it was just kind of boring. I mean, you know, given given the nature of this truck, you know, I just thought it was kind of a dull color. You know, I think some of the some of the more vibrant colors are, are more interesting on this truck. It's definitely got the like the sculpted body surfaces to really play with light. Um, you know, I mean, all the, the the front body work is all special to this truck, and it's really it's it's muscular and it it just yeah. And in a in a color that really stands out, black it looked good, but um, yeah, I think globally, all auto companies are really like chromophobic. They just don't like colors. You look back in the day, even the eighties, right when horsepower sucked and everything was terrible. Um, at least there was color and stripe packages. Well, actually, you know, <laughs> it's not really the the car companies; it's the customers. Um, you know, because they off you know they offer most 
you know, most vehicles with at least a couple of more vibrant color options, you know, usually a, some kind of bright red or, you know, some sort of red, you know, occasionally, you know, on some sportier vehicles, some sort of green, you know, bright green or something like that, or, you know, a blue, but they, the, the, the most popular colors they sell are, you know, the black, the silver and the white. Yeah. Those are the ones that customers are buying for some inexplicable reason. Well, and, and, you know, as a result, you know, they they that's what the, the manufacturers build because that's what the demand is. So, well, here's the thing, though. Is it truly people making those choices or can we blame dealers? Because it's so much fun to blame well, dealers. Actually, you're you're probably right, because the vast majority in this, you know, in the U.S., the vast majority of vehicles get sold from dealer inventory. People go in. And, you know, they they want to buy they want to have a car, you know, now or, you know, in the next couple of days. And so they they usually end up getting something from inventory. Right. And, you know, the, the the dealers will you know pick the colors that they think are they're going to be able to turn the fastest because they don't want to have cars sitting on the lot for extended periods of time. And and so they go for those monochromatic shades and. Which is unfortunate. Right. No, but it's a completely sensible business decision. I mean, I remember uh, again back in the '90s, one of my parents' colleagues, uh, he bought himself a brand new MN12 Thunderbird. Beautiful car. It had the the it either had the the Windsor or the uh, the the uh, modular V8 in it. Lovely car. The problem with it, and he got a fantastic deal. The reason why he got a fantastic deal was that it had sat on the lot for a very long time because it was this like metallic uh pearlescent purplish color. It was it had an yeah, ugly I color on it. Remember that color. Yeah. So it was like it was like metallic purple and then it had cl- uh like pearl in the clear or, or like blue tinted clear. So it was it was it was it had a look. <laughs> I mean in the right light it wasn't bad but in it, it just was kind of ugly. Um but he didn't care. It drove well, and and he got a really good deal on it because it was pretty much bolted to the floor. Uh, and and so like I can understand from a dealer perspective, but man, I really wish you could get yourself some some just different colors. I mean, I'm I'm okay with the 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 reds and the blues. I mean, we <laughs> we almost bought a silver Grand Cherokee, and I was using it as a tactic to like get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> without purchasing i was like no no, no. we want to hold out for a red one. Oh, we've got a red one crap <laughs> well, when my wife and i were buying our civic last spring you know we really wanted to get the aegean blue uh which is a, a really gorgeous shade of blue you know but we could not get one with the honda sensing package on it you know in that color um and you know almost all the ones they had were you know the black silver or white and we finally ended up we've managed to find a red one. They, they got a red one in. And so we went with that one, but you know, it's, it was just, it was nuts trying to find a blue one. Yeah. And I mean, like I'm resigned that it's the next time I actually want to configure something exactly where I want, I'm going to have to special order it because like they'll do red with black interior. I don't like black interiors. I'm stuck with that now. Red with the tan interiors might, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, well, mo- most of the cars that I've bought for myself over the years, I have special ordered, you know, but, you know, as it's turned out, you know, the up up until this one, you know, for for my wife's cars, you know, the colors that she wanted happened to be the ones that she that we that they had in stock. And so we we did that. But um, this was the first time when we really wanted to get something different and, and could not find it. And and Honda is not 
not great about um at least here in North America, about uh, you know doing special orders, uh, unless you're buying an NSX, in which case they're pretty much all special order. I mean, I think, I think if it were me at that point, I'd be like trying to draw on my connections and be like, "Look, guys, hey, you know what? <laughs> I, I actually did that. It's probably useless. And, and there literally was not a car in the color we wanted with the, the 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 trim level and options that we wanted anywhere to be found in the Midwest anywhere. Wow. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's one of the ways that they maintain profitability. It's just sort of like quietly like. Well, I mean, that, that is one of the things that not just Honda, but, you know, most of the the import brands, you know, <laughs> import, <laughs> given that mm. most of most of the cars right. are built here. But import built in. Well, it's imported from Ohio. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the non-domestic brands. Well, actually, sure. in the case of the Civic Hatchback, it, it is actually built in the UK, although the engines built the powertrains built in, in Ohio. But that's another story. But, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Toyota, Honda, Nissan, um, you know, the, the Koreans, typically what they do is, you know, they have a, a very limited set of configurations that you can get. You know, they'll have maybe three three or four trims, trim levels um, and, you know, a couple of packages that, that you can pick from and, and then, you know, a half a dozen colors. And that's basically it, you know, so the, the, you know, the total number of build combinations, you know, is usually in the dozens, you know, or less than a hundred as opposed to, you know, like if you, if you went through all the build, all the possible build combinations for an F-150. Oh, well, I mean, that's that. Yeah. It's, you know, it, um, I know it, I'm not sure what it is right now, but at one point, a couple of years ago, uh, about five years ago, it, it came out to like 14 million possible build combinations. Yeah. Well, and, um, that's possibly the most extreme example within the Ford lineup, just because that, that the truck well, is, yeah, because you do have multiple body styles, you know, you have three different cabs, a couple of different bed lengths, you know, and all the different variation, you know, four different power engines and, yeah. you know, front wheel drive or rear wheel drive or four wheel drive. You know, so, yeah. So it, yeah, you're right. It's an extreme case, but even for, you know, the, the regular, you know, for cars or, or utilities, you know, the, the number of build combinations still is typically, you know, in the hundreds of thousands and often upwards of a million. Yeah. I mean, many is the best example. They put it right on the site. Like when you go to configure one of the vehicles, it says like loading X amount of million possible combinations. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's pivot back to the, the oh, Raptor, yeah, the, the truck. <laughs> um, which is a terrible truck. It's an awful truck. It's completely useless. It has a 1,000 pound payload and a 6,000 pound tow rating. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 in a lot of ways, it, it's funny, you know, because the, the Raptor is developed by the Ford Performance Division. Yeah. And in, in many ways, it is the Ford GT for the off-road set. You know, if you plan to go off-road racing, um, you know, or, you know, running through the dunes, this is a great truck. Yeah. That, if, that, if you want something to actually use as a truck, it's probably the worst possible F-150 you can get. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Because it's it, honestly the... The work aspect of it is it, it, most really much more wimpy cars are going to put it to shame. Um, and, and but it, it's it is brilliant at that one thing that it's designed to do, which is like pre running for score, you know, score races like the Baja 1000. If you want to go pre run the course, it, you and you can see or, when you or even just race, you know, yeah, a roll cage in it and you're good to go pretty much. Um, I really was like trying to figure out a way i could go give this thing a pummeling off-road and i i never i 
didn't manage to. It's tough out here in Massachusetts. Uh, it's it's kind of illegal to go off road in public spaces. Uh, they don't like it when you go up along the high tension power lines. I don't want to get stuck in there. That's um, very expensive to get out and probably also some kind of trespassing citation. Um, there, there are places in Michigan where you can do it, although I didn't. But, you know, I mean, there, there's some areas not far from here where there's some some gravel roads that particularly you know, after some heavy rains, you know, you get some pretty horrendous potholes and, and bumps in there um, until they get graded again. And I did run this thing over those, you know, at a fairly good pace. And, you know, I mean, the suspension just soaks them up. I mean, it, it doesn't care. I mean, you can you can run this thing over just about anything without a problem. Yeah, it, definitely the 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 frame, because this is the, this is the second generation Raptor now. So it gets the benefit of all that reengineering of the latest F-150. Um, you know, the frame is is more rigid than it had been. Uh, the suspension is is fantastic. Uh, you, and you can tell that that's where the money is, because inside it's kind of like the same f-150 you'd buy for something like thirty thousand instead of 65 um but you know you look under there you've got fox uh remote reservoir dampers you've got the the bfg k02 tires on on the the wheels that are sort of beadlock ish i don't know if they were beadlock capable um I'm I'm not sure about the current one. I know on the previous gen Raptor they did offer beadlock wheels as an option. Yeah. Uh, um and and so I think they do have that as an option on the new ones as well. Yeah, they at least you know paid homage to the idea that you would have that. I mean and it's a, it's a serious piece of hardware and it it definitely drives with some authority. It's softer at least until you get back on pavement. Well, even on pavement like it's it still handles pretty well. It, it'd be easy to get it loose and get yourself in trouble for sure. It's got a lot of power. It's it's got a lot of um, compliance uh, because Especially in those tires. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of, by modern standards, it's it's kind of weird to you know to actually go around a corner, you know, at a fairly brisk pace in this thing because it you know it rolls quite a bit. And, you know, those tall sidewall tires, I mean, in modern vehicles, you're so used to driving, you know, on cars with these, you know, really short sidewalls with no compliance. And, you know, this thing, I mean, you can feel those big tires rolling under as you go around a corner. Yeah, it's nice and pillowy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, and, and it, speaking, speaking of leisurely, it's mission. <laughs> Really? You didn't like the 10-speed? I thought the 10-speed was pretty good. Well, I mean, it's smooth. It's smooth shifting. But, you know, the funny thing is they put, um, you know, on the Raptor, you get paddle shifters. Oh, I didn't use those. Well, uh, I never do. They, they're, they're pretty pointless. Um, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I think if you're going off-road, um, you know, and, and crawling around in a canyon or, you know, going over rocks, boulders and things like that, it, it actually probably would be useful, useful, you know, for, um, you know, shifting, you know, especially if you're running, you know, in low gears, you know, put on, you know, uh, go to, you know, four low, uh, mode, four wheel drive low and, you know, lock the center diff and, you know, you know, going around in the first two or three gears, it would be useful for that. But, I mean, you know, usually when you think of paddle shifters, you know, you think about, you know, wanting to snap off some quick, a quick a couple of quick downshifts, you know, to accelerate. And, you know, the, you tap those paddles in this thing and you count and 
count and oh yeah you wanted me to shift oh okay no problem i'll shift now <laughs> you know it, yeah. it was it was the most leisurely shifting transmission i have tried in a long long time well and see that's why i never use the manual controls because that's usually what, what i get from it it just aggravates me left to its own devices it wasn't bad i, I in terms of um sort of one of my biggest sort of testing points for transmissions and just drivetrain calibration is how eagerly i will get a downshift and left and drive this this thing seemed to just it'll it would drop from 10th to 9th to 8th pretty you know uh pretty quickly and and there wasn't much of a delay so it's not like i'm trying to plan in traffic and the car's just not doing what i'm asking for and then all of a sudden it drops down like three gears and off we go for the red line and then you know the moment has passed uh, th this, this was better than that. I was, I was impressed with sort of, and maybe it's because it has more ratios to choose from. It can make that drop a lot quicker. Uh, I, I don't know, whatever it was, it seemed a little better to me from behind the wheel. So I, maybe yeah, it's, I, I think, yeah, I think as you said, left to its own devices, I think it actually tends to respond a little quicker than it does, or it seemed to respond quicker than if you actually tried to force it, you know, and, you know, if you're driving along and, and, you know, going along in eighth and you give it a couple of downshift taps and, you know, and hope for, hope for sixth, you know, and then you wait before something happens. Yeah. It's just, it just makes you sad. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this? Like the size of some of the, the, the steering wheel is real thick. The shifter is like a soda can. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just weird. You know, comical. It, it just, yeah, it just, uh, it seems weirdly out of place in this yeah. thing which is kind of you know which is why i you know described it as kind of like the ford gt for the off-road set because i mean it's the engine is related to the one in the gt you know it's a 3.5 liter eco boost uh, you know higher performance version than what you get in the standard f-150s um you know in the raptor it's you know 450 horsepower and 510 foot pounds of torque and you know when the gt you know it's like 600 and something um but, you know, it's the same, you know, it's using a lot of the same bits and pieces that you'll find in the GT engine. Yeah, I have I have no absolutely no complaints about the engine. It's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, and, and the three five always the EcoBoost always has been a great engine. And it sounds great with the, the sort of like I'm a jerk truck exhaust on. <laughs> it just has has a great engine note. Yeah, um, with the big dual exhaust, those big those two big pipes yeah. coming out of the rear bumper. Um, and, you know, it has four ten. 410 final drive on it so it, it it is pretty sprightly although there's there's a lot of truck here and uh, yeah it's this is not uh, i mean despite having an aluminum body you know this is not what i would call uh, a lightweight vehicle it no it, it does not uh, epitomize um lightweight the way the gt does no and still so the, the things that have always bugged me about the f-150 still suck here too like the uh the clamshell doors because uh, I didn't have the oh, four door, the super cab. I did. Through. That's it's still awful. Uh, you know, they they sort of at at highway speeds. It, it just I don't know. It just feels like the doors wobbling, or I, I don't know. It just it feels weak to me. I don't like that whole like the whole side of the cab is actually a door, and they just like you close it and you watch everything flex a bit, and maybe it's I've never I've never sweet. really had that problem with those doors. Yeah, I and just mine was also a super cab, not the not the crew cab. 
Um, and uh, you know, I, I didn't notice any issues, you know, with, with the doors feeling wobbly or anything like that. It was, it was either like the door vibrating against the seal or it was like the seat belt and the seat, like just something squeaking. I couldn't tell exactly what was over my shoulder, my right, my left shoulder, but I was, it just, it was like something you could hear. It was very subtle, but I was like, is this the cat, like the cab configuration doing that or what? So, and that's just like been a consistent F-150 thing forever is that clamshell door system just to me it doesn't feel solid and that's probably just my bias because they seem to pass crash crash tests without a problem so yeah i mean and you know gm uses them too is uh chrysler doesn't anymore uh the rams uh have have just have shorter (laughs) uh, front hinge doors but but gm still uses the clamshell design yeah well the rams are like the, I like the Rams, but man, that, that's a truck that just feels like it was poured out of an ingot of cast iron. It's so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the the aluminum body, it's it's interesting. You know, it it doesn't uh, like when you open the hood and stuff, you're looking at it. You're like, is this is this plastic or what? And then you realize like, oh, yeah, it's aluminum. Um, it's, Overall, it's it's a pretty decent truck. I I was not impressed with the interior quality for sixty five thousand dollars. But again, the money's not in the interior. It, you know, the seats were nice and it it was pretty quiet and, and for the most part. Uh, but the the money went into the performance, which is like not damning with faint praise either. It's saying like it's not a real good truck in a work truck sense, but it's a great truck in an off road sports truck sense, and it's actually probably a bargain. When you consider what you get. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting how the idea of the sport truck has evolved over the last 20 years. You know, like in the early 90s, uh, you know, Ford introduced its first performance version of the F-150 with the the Lightning. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, at the same time, you know, you had uh, trucks like the the Chevy 454 SS and um, late, later in the 90s, um, they did an SRT Ram with the Viper engine in it, the V10 Viper engine, uh, you know, and, you you know, you also had, you know, some of the, oh, the cyclone, like the GMC cyclone. Oh, know? the cyclone. That was I don't know how they managed to build that thing. That was that was like a fever dream. Right. But I mean, you know, the thing about all those is. You know, they were designed as street trucks with high performance engines in them. And, you know, they they all had some limited appeal, but none of them really lasted very long. I mean, there was a second generation of lightning, but then, you know, then that, that got none of them ever really sold all that well. Um, and it wasn't until Ford introduced the Raptor, you know, and decided to go a totally different direction with, you know, a high output engine made with a, you know, a serious off-road chassis that, you know, they, they seem to have finally hit on the right formula. And, you know, the, and these things are, you know, sell like crazy. I mean, you know, compared to overall F-150 sales, they're a tiny percentage, but they're a very, very profitable percentage for Ford. Yeah. Well, and I, it's, it's funny. I wonder how many of them are just commuter trucks, you know, for I'm, I'm sure the vast majority of them are. It's it, and it's it's fine. Like, I wouldn't want to commute in it. it it's it, it gets to be kind of tedious <laughs> after a while. It's entertaining because you can ride up on somebody and they see just like this giant Ford emblem in there in their <laughs> yeah. mirror and they, they generally move over. Um, so I can see that kind of appeal, but it's uh, it's not. I don't know. I guess. What did you love about it? 
<laughs> uh, the engine. That's about it. <laughs> wow, that was a long pause. <laughs> I mean, you know, for 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 what this thing is designed to do, it's great. But I'm not interested in what this thing is designed to do. It, it's I, not. This is not a vehicle for me. You know, I mean, if you're if you're interested in a really um, very um, visually uh, up there truck <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. that that is capable of going just about anywhere, you know, then this is a great truck. I, I mean, you yeah. know, it, it does what it's intended to do very well. It's just that I personally have no interest in what it's intended to do. Yeah, but I, I so that's one of the things that I do love about it. I mean, I, I really liked the turgid looks uh, and the the singularity of purpose because uh, the stuff again the stuff I don't like about the F one fifty hasn't been messed with because it wasn't important to the mission of the truck you know like that the because it's not the crew cab there's actually not that much space in the cab it it gets kind of tight when you try to use the rear seat it's not not as as terrible as the old jump seat cabs used to be but still. Uh, I was using it as a sort of family vehicle to a degree. I was wishing for the crew cab and the extra space. Uh, and you know, you 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 know, you actually can get the the crew cab. The Raptor is a crew cab as well. So, I mean, for for customers right. that want that, that that is an option that's available. Right. That just again, that just makes it less Raptory. The five and a half foot bed, you know, is obviously limiting. Right. You know, and and because of the way the suspension is set up, you know. You're Towing, even though it's got lots of power, the towing capacity and the payload capacity are also limited because of the suspension setup. Right. And I also found it impossible to park because it's like it's wide. The tires stick out. I was using I'm glad that it had the camera set up because uh, which is I think that's an option. Um, yeah, but it is. I the full surround view setup. Yeah, it's really handy. If you're going to get a Raptor, get that because <laughs> <laughs> you can. Turn it on and like get yourself into a parking space. Yeah, well, especially the front camera. Yeah, you know, being able to see exactly where the front end of that thing is. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's it, it's a fun truck uh, that you shouldn't ever expect any work out of. But if you if you have the desire and the occasion to go tearing around where the roads are not roads are not paved, it's a fine choice. That. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if you live in uh, northern Wisconsin or Minnesota or you know somewhere out in Montana in the middle of winter, <clears throat> you know, I'm sure this thing will. You will never get stuck in your home on a snow day. You know, in those places with no, one of these things, <laughs> you'll get stuck somewhere out where the wolves eat you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so you were driving something else too, though. Yeah, after after I had the Raptor, uh, I traded that in for um, the Hyundai Elantra Sport, which which you drove a few weeks back, um, and I still I still really like the Elantra. Um, yeah, and the did you have the the manual transmission or the DCT? I had the manual, which okay. was pretty good, not yep. great, but uh, it, I thought it was numb, uh, both the shifter and the steering. Yeah, and you know, I I had the same feeling when I drove the Elantra GT um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, this one, um, you know, the with the automatic, it definitely they tune the steering differently, and it's definitely got better steering feel than the manual does. And you get uh, with the automatic, you get uh, drive mode selection, so you can select between normal and and sport mode, uh, which tightens things up a little more. Um, but I. 
uh, oddly, I mean, you know, the, the transmission shifts really smoothly and, and actually shifts really quickly. You know, if you use the, it's got paddle shifters and the transmission is very responsive. Um, you know, it's a dual clutch transmission, seven speed, um, you know, and this is a, a great transmission, but um, off the line, this one felt surprisingly weak. Um, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't feel, um, it did, you know, you didn't have real brisk launch feel from this thing, which seemed kind of odd compared to the other cars I've driven with this 201 horsepower version of the 1.6 liter turbo, um, you know, in the, in the Kia, uh, Forte SX, uh, you know, it's got the same, the same engine, but it has a six speed manual, uh, or at least the one I drove, uh, about a year and a half ago had a six speed manual. And I found that one a lot more fun. And, and even, even in the, um, the Elantra GT I drove a couple a few weeks back. Um, you know, it, I I found it more fun with the manual transmission, even though the the transmission you know um, shift feel was was smooth in that one, um, but it felt you know almost too light. Um, you know, and so you didn't really have great feel for what was going on. Yeah, uh, but I still I still think I would have taken that one over uh, the DCT in this particular combination. Yeah, I wonder if that's uh, something like they limit the torque. In the first couple of gears, just to I, I think I think that is the case because it, it definitely does didn't not, did not feel as strong as it did in the in the Elantra GT, which is the, you know the same engine. Yeah, but it just it just didn't you know off the line it just did not seem to respond quite as well. Yeah, and it, like, that's a engine that feels a little light off the line, even with the manual. Um, it, it needs to build up a little bit ahead of steam first, a little bit of boost. So it, it's kind of soft with the manual off the line anyway. So with the DCT, I guess if it's torque limited, so you're not blowing up clutches and all those things when it's down in those lower gears, uh, it can be even more disappointing. Um, I wish they offered the drive modes though on on all models. Yeah, they uh, for some reason they don't with the manual transmission. They, you only get that with the automatic. Um, but uh, other, you know, aside from that, you know, I, I like the car a lot. I mean, you know, it's a it's a fun little car. It's, uh, you know, I think it's for me, you know, personally, I think it's a it's a great size. You know, it, it feels fairly nimble. The handling's good. Uh, the ride, you know, it's got a good combination of ride and and uh, handling qualities. Um, you know, in the you know in the Elantra sedan, uh, it does it. Yeah, you the the materials you know in the the cabin um, you know don't feel quite as polished as in the uh, the GT. The Elantra GT definitely has a more upscale feel to the interior, but it, you know it's a completely different interior as well. Um, you know, and the materials in that one feel a little more premium than they do in the sedan. But when you know when the sedan gets redone again in a couple of years, um, you know it's it's going to get something that's closer to what's in the uh, the hatchback as well. See, but the thing is, too, I didn't find the interior materials objectionable at all. I thought they were actually pretty good. You know, low luster plastics and just generally everything you touch felt pretty good for a new car. I don't know how it holds up, but, it, you know, for a new car, it felt right in there with the rest of the class. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Hyundai and Kia both, you know, have been doing great on, uh, you know, on the, the JD Power surveys, both the initial quality and the, the long term durability surveys in the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, from from everything I've heard, you know, I think it should hold up pretty well. Did you find uh, that it did it take you like a day or two to fully get it to like, as I found with this car, with the um, the Elantra Sport, it was 
it was good for the first couple of days. And then I figured out if I just wring its neck, <laughs> then it comes alive a little bit more. Um, and you get the more rewarding handling because it does. It handles pretty well. It, it'll actually rotate. It's it's it can be entertaining to drive, but you have to actually drive it pretty aggressively to really get it to show those traits. Otherwise, it's just like, yep, uh, it's an Elantra, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, <clears throat> you're right. I mean, um, you know, dro- driven sedately, you know, it it feels like pretty much like any other, you know, like an Elantra Limited or, or you know, uh, you know, better, a little better than the Eco, you know, which has smaller, you know, lower rolling resistance tires on it. But, um, you know, you're right. You do have to thrash it a little more to, to really get the most out of it. And I'm not complaining because it's I mean, it's no. a it's decent thrash. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and it, you know, it's it's also quite reasonably priced. So. Yeah. For, so that's the uh, thing. You can get one in the mid 20s. So. Right. My, my take was like uh, I wrote it up for Forbes a couple of weeks ago and it was I, I was asked by people who knew that I had it. They were like, what is that? And it's OK. So it's, it's a sportier launcher. Think of it like a GTI. OK, well, what do you think? Well, it's no GTI, <laughs> you know, but also it's like four grand cheaper than a GTI and, yeah. you know, like fully equipped. It's it's. It's a pretty significant gap. It's even more five to six grand cheaper than a GTI, which can push into the 30s pretty easily. Um, you know, this is it, the one I drove, I think, topped out at like 25, maybe. And it, it did not have anything left to add, I believe. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that sounds about right. Um, you know, and I think, you know, for about 26, you can get a pretty nice one. So, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. We had the same thought at the same time. Awesome. All right. Well, what do we want to talk about uh, first? We've got a couple of things on the list um, that we can can check off. What's the most interesting to you, Sam? Oh, let's see. Um, why don't we start with Volvo? Okay. All right. Um, so. All right. You go ahead. You tee it up. So, I'll yeah. just offer color commentary. So uh, <laughs> Volvo launched uh, the new XC40 uh, today in Europe, uh, which is their their first uh, compact crossover. It's their third uh, their third crossover in their lineup, uh, joining the XC90 and the XC60. Uh, and this is the first model off of their new their second platform, their new uh, compact uh, modular architecture, which they're also they're sharing that platform with uh, some of the other brands in the Geely Group. Uh, Geely being uh, the Chinese company that happens to own Volvo now, and. Uh, this is the, the first the first vehicle off that that platform. It's a front wheel drive, you know, uh, front front wheel drive and all wheel drive, transverse, you know, architecture, you know, like like pretty much everything else in that size class, uh, you know, designed to go up against the likes of the Audi Q3 and the BMW X3 and and so on, um, and um, you know, it's a it's a pretty cool looking cool looking little utility i mean it's it's a little bit of different design for volvo you know i mean it's got some of the 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 cues that you know we found in the other the other new volvos recently especially in the headlights uh but you know what what do you think of the shape of this thing well so my twitter has been lit up today with people saying gosh that's a nice looking car and it definitely gets your attention and i do think overall i i think i agree i think it's it's good looking it's definitely distinctive but every time I see it, I'm just it, I have to remind myself that it's not a Jeep Compass. 
Um, <laughs> it, it does it does share some resemblance to the compass, especially with the fact that uh, to as far as I know, um, in all uh, all configurations of this thing, it's going to have a contrasting roof color. Right, uh, and that that was one of the big things about the compass that they like they they did that on purpose. It was they were especially proud of it. Um, yeah. and it like it looks it looks good. Uh, and the you know you can only get so small with a CUV. You know the proportions are going to be same same across all automakers once you get to a certain point, right? And so proportionally probably about the same as the compass as well um but it's I, i'm not sure what to make of it beyond that like yeah it it looks good um the interior i was sad to see has too few buttons and lots of screen but it's i would expect it's gonna be the typical like beautiful volvo materials and everything is nicely designed and uh i, I actually love how volvo has reinvented itself uh, for the first time in about 15 or 20 years. Um, the last time there was this big reinvention was when the S80, the original S80 came out. Right. And uh, that sort of design ethic took a while to work through a couple of generations. And we're seeing the tail end of that now. And it really, it really worked. If you looked back at the Volvo portfolio from the early 2000s, you had the XC90, you had the S80, you had the uh, S60, the V70 and the XC70. They all looked like they belonged, even the um, the S40, uh, not the original one, the second generation. Um, you know, they all look like they belong together. And that's what they've done now. And they've 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 evolved their language. You know, the the new XC90 set the tone and all of the cars are sort of following in line. And I, I love that they've done that. They've moved beyond retro. They've moved beyond uh, what was done by was it Peter Horbury? Um, yeah. yeah. And. Uh, so that's really exciting to see. I'm less keen on maybe the vehicle until I actually get my hands on it. Um, just to see what it's going to be. My initial reaction is like, looks like visibility to the rear sucks. (laughs) Um, Those those, uh, C pillars look a little thick. Yeah. Um, and like they're Volvo's trying really hard to define their next move, like their, their niche, because, there's such a small automaker and they need to ensure survival. So the, um, the new, it's not, what is it? Care or what are they calling care, it? Care by Volvo. So the, yeah, right. so this, this is one of the interesting things that they're, they're launching with, uh, with the XC40 and it'll eventually spread to the rest of the lineup as well. Um, and, uh, I just heard back from, uh, um, Russell Datz, uh, uh, communications manager at Volvo uh, North America. Um, and they, they will be offering care by Volvo here in the U S as well. And they're going to announce pricing at the LA auto show in November. Um, but what, uh, what, what they're doing here is basically it's a, it's a subscription model for buying this car. So if you're at all familiar with the, uh, the Apple iPhone upgrade program that they launched a couple of years ago, this is kind of like that, but for a car, uh, so, you know, with, with the, the iPhone, uh, program, the iPhone upgrade program, if you signed up for that, you know, you got a new iPhone and, um, you know, you paid a flat monthly fee for that. And, you know, after 12 months, you could upgrade to the next 
um, you know, just turn in, turn in your phone and, and get the next one. And, and, you know, basically just, you know, keep paying and, and, you know, keep getting a new one every, every 12 months or, you know, whenever, whenever you decided you wanted another one. And in this case here, uh, for, you know, for the XC, uh, the XC 40 and, and presumably for other ones as well, uh, other Volvo models, uh, you know, that flat monthly fee is going to include, uh, insurance and service um you know so all the the maintenance is going to be included in that and you know at the end of 12 months you know you can either keep driving the same one or at that point you know you have the option of getting a new one so and getting a new one they're gonna have to explain that really carefully because um the the cost of it in europe is 699 euros which is like 800 something dollars uh right now at the exchange rate that's high but then when you when you calculate the fact that that includes everything like insurance and maintenance, yeah, it's actually probably not that high. Um, yeah, And, you know, depending on, on which market it is, you know, in some markets, it's also it's also even going to include, I think, uh, fuel and you'll have the option of, you know, um, e-commerce deliveries. So you can you can have, you know, your Amazon packages delivered direct to the trunk of your car. <laughs> you know, which is something that, you know, some companies have already been experimenting with in Europe for a couple of years now. Um, and one of the other features that comes with, you know, that this includes is uh, the ability to share your car with with trusted friends and family. Um, and I believe that they're using uh, a system uh, like what we what I saw demoed a few months ago uh, at uh, Continental. Uh, where it's actually using using your phone, uh, using a smartphone and Bluetooth LE, and so when you give somebody access to your car, what it does is it'll send a token to your to that person's phone, mm-hmm. uh, an authentication token, and then you know when you walk up to the car, it will the car will unlock and and start you know using your you know using your phone as the key. Oh man, that's gonna be so good when thieves start spoofing those tokens. <laughs> Um, that's going to be the first to go. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it depends. Um, depending on how they do it, it, it can be fairly secure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I say that sarcastically. Yeah, but that's, yeah, I mean, uh, clearly, you know, that is that 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 is going to be another potential attack surface for uh, for hackers uh, to be able to get into these things and, and do something nefarious. So, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, Volvo will implement it correctly you know and and not use uh any uh music majors on their uh cyber security team <laughs> hey uh volvo tends to be pretty pretty careful and at least thoughtful and they work with good suppliers um they'll, they'll figure it out uh, yeah, and there's I, I would you know if they're using Contin- you know the continental system on this thing which uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they are um, you know from what I saw from that you know it's it's implemented pretty well and it should be reasonably secure yeah and there's there's no progress without pain right and and um, they've got a balance right the the friction between absolute security and like no nope, we're not going to offer that because it's a security problem and like new feature to talk about that differentiates them and it's not that expensive for them to implement and like you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. that's something that it's a convenience feature and those are the things that sell cars now is the tech um you know i i do think they're being kind of aggressive about how many they think they're going to sell uh they have a goal of um selling about a hundred thousand 
next year and then 120,000 the following year. I hope that's a global number and not I'm sure I'm sure that yeah. is because they only sold a little over 500,000 vehicles total globally last year. Right. So, you know, 100 100,000 globally is is not an unreasonable number for for a vehicle like this, especially given the way the, you know, the current market trends are towards utilities. Yeah, cuz I mean the the current like currently their entire volume in the US is only 50,000 or so. Um they may end the year at like 53 or 54 in the US. So like to see a hundred thousand of a single model, cause that's all models. Um, I, I guess they're, they're more popular in other markets than I thought, uh, which must account for the difference. Well, I mean, they, they've, uh, Volvo has gotten some pretty good traction in China over the last several years. I mean, they've had a lot of growth in China in the last five years. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a significant chunk of that hundred thousand, get sold over there i mean for if you're looking to build up your volume and in your in markets like like china that are are developing they're big uh potentially bigger um and they have a, a an appetite for it uh, but also their economy is not quite as booming in that sense uh as it was a couple of years ago uh it makes sense to to slot in a model that is is fits in with the aspirational brand, but still is maybe a little bit more achievable. Uh, it, all of those things, good play. They, I'm sure they have thought about all this stuff. They don't need me to validate, <laughs> but I'm... Well, I mean, yeah. you know, to, to give you an example of what's possible with some premium SUVs, you know, I mean, all we got to do is look at the, the next one on, the, on our rundown, which is Jaguar, and look yeah. at the success that they've had since they launched the F-Pace last year. Well, and the F-Pace, the, that vehicle has, I think, made a stir wherever it's gone. And um, they're another maker that just, they've managed to evolve themselves. Because Jaguar for years was just like this, this stodgy retro brand um, that made entertaining cars, but they were built like they had been for 40 years. Uh, or they looked like they had for 40 years, either either way. Um you know, and then they, they, the XF, the original XF sort of kicked it off. It was like this reimagination of the S-Type. And that car represented a huge shift for Jaguar. And Yeah, and I mean, that was a, you know, that, that was the beginning of a whole new design language for the Jaguar brand. Yeah, and, and look how successful it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's done great. I mean, you know, and, and last year, you know, 2016, Jaguar more than doubled their sales. Uh, with the addition of the XE and especially the XF to their lineup, you know they, um, the as as a brand, you know they went from like uh, in 2016 they went from uh, uh, 14,500 cars in 2015 to over 31,000 in 2016. That's and, in the U.S. and they're that's just in the U.S. Yeah, and and they're up you know even more than that this year, um, and you know a lot of that you know like a, a th one third. You know, they, last year, you know, the XF launched, you know, in the middle of the year, I think, you know, around uh, May or June of last year. And, you know, they sold 10,000 of them in about, you know, seven or eight months. Um, and through August of this year, they've sold 14,000. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a you know, that's an example of what you can get if you you know add a utility, you know, and do it right, you know, and have it be something that that fits your brand. Um, and appeals to customers, you know, the, the F pace, you know, is a, is a great performance 
SUV. I mean, it's it's not an off-roader by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I mean, but none of them go off-road. No, that's <laughs> no? well, that's yeah. true. You know, um, I mean, you know, Porsche, you know, really kind of kicked this off with the Cayenne. Uh, you know, and then, you know, they've since added the Macan and, you know, everybody else has been going down this this path with higher performance uh, luxury SUVs. Uh, you know, all the German brands are doing it now. Um, we haven't really seen it. You know, I was talking with some folks today at I was uh, earlier today. I was at this uh, a Jaguar event here in Detroit um, and I was talking with some other uh, some other media. And, we, you know, we were talking about, you know, why Cadillac and Lincoln really haven't competed at all in this segment. I mean, you know, none of the, you know, Lincoln's done okay with the MKC, the MKX yeah. and the Navigator, but they're, you know, they have, they haven't really got anything that competes against this, something like the F-Pace and neither does Cadillac. You know, uh, the, the XT5, you know, is a really nice midsize crossover, but you know, it's not even close to to what what these things are capable of doing. You know, there's, well, there's yeah. really no performance variant at all. Well, but so that's the thing. Cadillac got burned a bit trying that, um, and Lincoln. I don't. I just. I, I don't know what they're doing at Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because the MKs Lincoln's taking a different path. You know, yeah, they've they've decided on this uh, this quiet luxury approach. You know, they don't want. You know, they're they're not trying to go performance with any right. of their vehicles. Right, and that's what I was going to say. And their vehicle, like they're they, it's not that they don't perform. They they're they're adequate. You know, like they especially the vehicles yeah. with the Nano or the the larger V six. Yeah, that, that three liter um, twin turbo V six. You know, four hundred horsepower. There's plenty of performance there, but they're not emphasizing that. And they're not. That's not. Yeah. They're you know it's effortless performance, but it's it's it doesn't feel like a like a high performance vehicle you know i mean it's you know a continental with that engine feels nothing like a ctsv you know uh right you know with with you know anything comparable to that but the problem i have with lincoln in particular is okay fine you've de-emphasized the performance if you want to emphasize your your luxury it's got to be more luxurious like it's just it doesn't elevate itself from ford enough for me and and maybe well, I'm Jade. Continental does. Yeah, oh yeah, I haven't. Navigator does. Um, I haven't haven't had time in the Continental or the Navigator, uh, yet. Um, they should send some to New England, <laughs> so I can talk about them I'll, while I drive them. I'll, I'll ask Saeed about that the next time I see him. Yeah, it would it would be nice to see them out here because uh, if they want to sell the cars, they should put them in the hands of the people that tell the people about the cars. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Speaking, speaking of which, um, also at this Jaguar event today, um, you know, they, they showed off a couple of cars that are, are new to North America. Um, and one of those is the XF Sport Brake, the, the new generation XF Sport Brake, which is in uh, in American English is the station wagon. Um, and Joe Eberhard uh, was commenting on this. You know, he said, we know we know you journalists love um, station wagons, um, at just like we love them in Europe. Um, but, um, and Joe Eberhardt is the, the CEO of Jaguar Land Rover North America. Um, and he said, now, you know, please go out and tell everybody else, you know, why they should be driving this thing. <laughs> you know, cause we, we know you guys will buy these, uh, but no, we will, we will, we will say that we'll buy them. We won't be able to afford them. Well, that, that, that is, the, <laughs> yeah, that, that is, that is a slight issue. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, 
the you know more affordable station wagons you know journalists will, more, will happily buy um yeah you know, a seventy thousand dollar xf uh sport brake uh is a little bit more of a challenge um you know most most uh most journalists can't really afford that um on their on their salary so um yeah they're that until they come up with some more affordable versions of that which they they will have i mean they're launching with the the xfs you know which is the the supercharged uh v6 with i think 360 or 370 horsepower um and then they'll add other powertrains uh later on um but uh, yeah that's that's the affordability there is definitely an issue for the journalists yeah somebody needs to pay journalists better i, I mean I, I agree yeah <laughs> that's that's why neither of us does it full time. Uh, no, I have to feed my family, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, um, I, the guys that do it full time. I, I have a lot of respect for because it's a hustle. Um, yeah. And it's it's just it's difficult. Uh, but you actually also had an interview with uh, one of the guys from Jaguar, Dave yeah. Larson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, Dave, Dave is the uh, head of product planning for uh, Jaguar Land Rover North America. So uh, chatted with him for a few minutes. So let's drop that in here. Dave Larson, uh, you're head of product planning for Jaguar Land Rover North America. Thank you for taking a few minutes with me today. Um, we're here um, the Art Jaguar Art Performance Tour. We just heard some interesting announcements about um, what Jaguar is launching this year and, and also where Jaguar is going in the future. Um, it seems like in the, in the last few years, um, Jaguar has, has really refocused um, as a as a performance oriented luxury brand. Can you talk a little bit more about what, what is your overall target for, for Jaguar in particular uh, before we get into Land Rover a little bit? All right, so um, I guess, you know, to frame it up, two years ago, we introduced the next generation of Jaguar. And at that point in time, we said, we're gonna have more competitive products. We're gonna have more uh, aggressively priced products. And we're also gonna launch Elite Care, which is the best warranty and maintenance coverage in the industry, where we cover the vehicle for five year, 60,000 miles, for both warranty and maintenance. And we kind of laid out the, the road work um, at that point two years ago, where if you think the XF was the entry point to the brand, it had a starting price of about 50,000. Today we have the XE and the F-Pace, which really opened the funnel to the brand. And now we have an entry point in the mid thirties. Uh, in its first year, the F-Pace has become our number one selling model. And um, you know, I think it was probably I don't know maybe 15 years or so ago that there was the first some first discussion at least here in North America about the potential for Jaguar to add a, an SUV. And I think back in those days, you know, the presumption you know when Jaguar was still part of Ford uh, was that it would be a, some sort of rebadged uh, Land Rover product. But instead, now that you've actually got the F-Pace and the E-Pace, you've actually gone a, gone a completely different direction with SUVs. It, it's a, they're very distinct from what you have with Land Rover. Um, and what, what's, what's Jaguar trying to achieve? I mean, obviously, you know, SUVs are very popular now in, in the marketplace, but what are you trying to do distinctive with um, the, the Pace lineup for Jaguar? So, you know, going back to our roots, Jaguar really has an excellent racing heritage and some of the um, most uh, notable people in the industry have even called our E-Type the most beautiful car in the world. So racing, styling, that's the Jaguar DNA. 
And for us to do an SUV, it had to be based on that. And I think the proof point, as you saw through the presentation today, the F-Pace received the Car of the Year Award from journalists um, and also the Styling uh, Award. Um, and again, so that really reinforces the point that, hey, you can do an SUV, be functional, and have fantastic styling, but when you get behind the wheel of this vehicle, the handling and the driving dynamics are a true Jaguar. Um, I think last week or perhaps the week before, um, it was announced that um, from 2020 onwards, every Jaguar Land Rover product was going to offer uh, an electrified some uh, form option, of some form of electrification. Yep. Um, is that going to be uh, is that going to be global like for every model globally? It'll have a, an electrified option in the powertrain lineup, or is it going to vary by region? No, so, uh, you know, the statement that we made at Frankfurt was that every all-new product from 2020 forward will have some form of electrification. At the same point, we'll be adding uh, different drive variants to the current products uh, to electrify. And that could be a MHEV, uh, mild, that being mild hybrid, mild hybrid, hybrid. Uh, plug-in hybrid, and then a full battery electric. So, uh, really, with all different factors going on in the world. My point of view is the best powertrain portfolio is a diverse one. And that's where you'll see we offer uh, very fuel efficient four-cylinder uh, petrol engines. We have four-cylinder diesel, six-cylinder diesel, six-cylinder supercharged. So really a diversified uh, product portfolio. And obviously performance is, is the focus of Jaguar. We have our uh, supercharged V8 featuring 575 horsepower. So, uh, <laughs> so um, presumably, you know, since you have such a diverse por portfolio, um, the the electrification won't necessarily be on every powertrain option. Uh, there may be some. There will be, be some, some options form that are. Of the it'll be available on every model, but not necessarily on every powertrain. Or will it be on every powertrain? So there will be some form of electrification, whether it's a PHEV, a, okay. a, a BEV, or an MHEV in each of the product lines that we okay. offer. And for, for the, the mild hybrids, presumably that, is that going to be a 48 volt uh, type electrical system? Or? We haven't disclosed that yet. Okay. Uh, the only thing we have mentioned is, uh, for example, on the I-PACE, which will be right, a that's battery battery only. Yeah. That'll be a 90 kilowatt battery. Okay, and presumably we'll be seeing some, some additional battery electric models uh, in the, the JLR lineup going forward as well? Yeah, no, no comment at this point. All right. Well, thank you very much for your Sam, time. Dave. My Appreciate pleasure. It. All right. So uh, that was Dave Larson, head of product planning for uh, Jaguar Land Rover North America, and the you know the Jaguar had uh, several other vehicles that are new to North America um, on display today, uh, including the XJR. Uh, 575, which is a very high-performance version of the big XJ sedan uh, with 575 horsepower. Uh, Wait, did that have the V8? Are they still making the V8, or was that uh, like no? This uh, yes, yes. It's a, sup it's a supercharged uh, five-liter V8. So they have the the XJ the the regular XJR 
with the supercharged V8 is 470 horsepower. So they bumped this one up another 105 horsepower. Um, and it's got 186 mile an hour top speed, uh, zero to 60 in uh, about three and a half seconds. Uh, so <laughs> it's so fast. It's, it's actually surprisingly affordable, you know, when you compare it to the likes of, uh, you know, an Alpina B7 or an AMG S6, uh, S63. Uh, you know, it's only 122000 so, and I bet it's loaded for that price, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's got big red Brembo calipers on it, you know, so you, you can't go wrong. Um, and then they, they also brought um, a, the, uh, the, the XE SV Project 8, which they uh, unveiled a couple of weeks ago in Europe. And this is the, the high-performance XE. With the XE is their compact sedan. Um, and the... Uh, the SV Project 8 has uh, an even higher performance version of that 5-liter V8 um, with 596 horsepower, uh, top speed of over 200 miles an hour, um, and um, a price tag of about 188 grand, and a big honking wing on the back. Uh, and um, they're only building 300 of them. So, you know, get in line now if you want one of those. Yeah. None of none of which we will be able to afford. Right. Uh, and then, you know, for the rest of us, they have they also brought out the E-Pace, uh, which is the new compact crossover that they launched in, uh, in at the Frankfurt show last week. Um, and this, you know, th this is, you know, what they were really highlighting today was the E-Pace. Um, you know, and it it's launching uh, at the end of the year um, with two versions of the two liter turbo that they their ingenium uh, four cylinder turbo that they have in it in all their other models now uh with 247 horsepower and 296 i think um and a price tag starting in the mid 30s and um it's it's a pretty cool looking little crossover um and uh i i suspect it's going to do real well for them well, it's the right move for them, and you'd think too with Jaguar that because they're tied up with Land Rover that they would leave all of the crossover and SUV stuff to Land Rover. But there's space for for the the Jaguar thing in those segments. Yeah, well, you know, I, I remember I think it might have been back in the late '90s or maybe it was the early 2000s when there was first some speculation. And this is when Jaguar and Land Rover were both owned by Ford. Um, and, you know, there was some some rumors that Jaguar was going to launch an SUV uh, and, you know, that they, they never ended up doing that. But, you know, at the time, you know, the expectation was that it would basically, you know, under Ford's leadership, uh, it would basically just be a, a rebadged uh, Range Rover, which, you know, really would have been pretty pointless. You know, I mean, why? You, know, you already have Range Rover. Why bother rebadging it for you know doing another one? Um, but when they finally did get around to doing SUVs, you know, with the F-Pace last year uh, and now the E-Pace, you know, they decided to go a whole different direction and really, you know, try to make these, you know, real Jaguars, you know, really more performance oriented, um, you know, sportier uh, looking and, and sportier feeling than the, the Land Rovers and Range Rovers. And so that, you know, they're really, they, these are real, you know, they don't share, well, I, I I mean, they, you know, things like the powertrains and that they're sharing with with the Land Rover and Range Rover models. But, um, you know, in terms of the platforms, you know, they're they're completely different V8 
vehicles um, that share more with the Jaguar cars than they do with uh, with the Range Rovers and the Land Rovers. And, you know, I think, it, you know, I think this this could work for them. Uh, it appears to be. And they've, yeah. they've added content and reduced prices. The Jaguar has been making a lot of uh, smart, aggressive moves. So they, they'll be around maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe the trucks will subsidize this, the cars that we love, just like, uh, say, Porsche. <laughs> yeah, so if they if they sell enough E-Paces and F-Paces, then, you know, they can you know afford to keep sending us a few XF wagons. Yeah, I'm down with that, uh, especially for free because we're journalists there, and they like us. There you go. Um, we'll, t- we'll tell everybody that's rich enough to afford one to buy one. Yeah, absolutely. I will drive slowly through the rich areas of town in an in an jag wagon they just have to get it here and then i mean I, I live in massachusetts there's money in in the hills here just i will go be your your street team yeah <laughs> hey um last week did uh when we were talking about frankfurt did we talk about the ipace at all and the the race series uh no okay. i don't think so Okay, so this this is the other thing they talked a little bit about today. Uh, Ian Callum, uh, who's the head of design at Jaguar and Land Rover, uh, talked a little bit about the the iPace E Trophy that's launching in 2018, uh, which is going to be a new support series for Formula E, and the iPace is going to be Jaguar's first battery electric vehicle. It's it's also a crossover, but it's it's on a completely unique platform it shares nothing with any of the other jaguars and while you might think that the one called the e-pace it would be the electric one it's it's not it's actually the i-pace is the electric one um and i have a feeling that this the i-pace is gonna give a real serious challenge to tesla and the model x um because frankly i think it's a lot better looking than the model <laughs> x but also you know one of the things that, that tesla has done you know one of the things that that's helped tesla build their brand is you know the the performance you know but their performance has really been you know very um very limited in its scope. Um, you know, it, it's it's basically all just been about straight line acceleration, which is fine. You know, I mean, if you spend all your time at the drag strip, uh, but I mean, you can only accelerate from zero to sixty in two and a half seconds so many times. Um, you know, yeah, like eventually, once. Eventually, you have to change direction, right? Um, and that's that's where the the Teslas really start to struggle. You know, uh, Teslas are terrible on the track. Except for drag strips, um, you know, because the the motors and the electronics and the batteries overheat, and then they start degrading the performance pretty dramatically. And so, you know, what Jaguar is doing, uh, they already joined Formula E last year. They're supporting one of the Formula E teams, and um, uh, starting in 2018, they're going to have the the F Pace uh, E Trophy uh, or the I Pace E Trophy series as a support series for Formula E, and you know, I think when you see these these electric SUVs, you know, running around the racetrack, you know, and running consistently fast, lap after lap after lap, you know, that'll really show that these are much more uh, all around performance electric vehicles rather than just you know straight line acceleration. Uh, you know, and they're, they, you know, they're they're really trying to retain the Jaguar character with these th- with the I Pace. Um, yeah, and it'll it'll be something distinctly different from what Tesla has to offer. Well, Tesla, I don't know. I mean, I think that they've they've done a magnificent job of making themselves out to be the premier uh, 
purveyor of of electric vehicles of any form. You know, they, they've got this whole army of people that's convinced that they can do no wrong and everything they make is brilliant and all other automakers are stupid. Um, I, I think we're going to quickly start to see that all automakers have caught on to a large degree. Um, and they understand sort of the Tesla magic, but they also understand how to make cars and how to how to make cars that actually work you know the, the tesla's biggest problem yeah tesla's biggest problem i think is that they b- besides just the huge amount of, of hubris and arrogance um they try to fix things that don't need to be fixed you know i was talking with um uh, my neighbor whose brother has a model s and um he was saying like you know he's never going to buy the x because the falcon tours and i was like yeah they i don't know why companies keep feeling the need to make doors like that. I mean, you had the, the Brooklyn, the DeLorean, all the fancy cars have like funny gull wing doors. And they're just like structurally, they put a lot of mass in the wrong place and they're just complicated and failure prone. There's, there's videos out there of like the Falcon doors, just nothing around them, but they're, they're like, they won't open because they detect some object because there's sensors and stuff. And it's a cool idea, but like maybe you should get your electric cars working. <laughs> It looks really cool on a concept. Yeah, I, and it's it's like it's neat, but in practice, like if you want doors that that open with a low profile, just put sliding doors on the thing. Yeah, <laughs> like come no, on, I, I totally agree. Um, it's a very this is a very practical and, decision. And, I and with sliding doors, you know the ins, you know in a in a rainstorm, the inside of your car doesn't get soaked. Right, because the Falcon doors take forever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, so uh, like that's something that I can't see a major experienced automaker uh, sort of taking a flyer like that and, and making that kind of of mistake. Like, they, they would know better. Like, no, guys, this is just, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> we should just put normal doors on it. Or, you, you know, something that isn't this fantastical flying machine. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, racing improves the breed. And if it gets us better electric cars, all like that are better all-arounders, I'm all for it. So. Yeah, no, it, it'll be interesting to watch um, how that series goes. Uh, and then, you know, they'll, um, you know, the, the I-Pace, the production I-Pace will actually be launching before, because the series, the uh, Formula E series uh, is a winter series. So it runs from the fall through the spring. Um, and so, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be running, I think it starts in September um, and then runs through like March, March or April. And, um the production iPace will actually be available uh, much earlier in the year. It'll be available in the spring, and you know by by mi- by the middle of next year there will actually be two uh, you know significant uh, all electric competitors to the Model X. Uh, in addition to the iPace, Audi's going to have their e-tron Quattro uh, launching in the middle of next year, and uh, it'll it'll be interesting to watch those. And then you know the year after. Um, Porsche is launching the uh, the Mission E, the production version of the Mission E, um, which you know reports this week uh, indicate are is going to be priced uh, pretty much the same as a Panamera, which m- means it's also going to be priced about the same as a Model S um, and have similar range. So, uh, you know, would you rather have a, a Porsche or a Tesla? Um, personally, I think I'd probably rather have the Porsche. I mean, the Mission E is just cool in a lot of ways so yeah i mean it's it's certainly i think it's a much better looking car than than the model s um 
and uh, you know, it, it, I, I suspect it'll probably be more reliable. Yeah, I I would assume so. Uh, Porsche is pretty good at building cars. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's jump off uh, again. Okay. Um, um, well, one 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 last thing about uh, today is as I was driving to and from this Jaguar event, I actually saw a couple of prototype cars, um, which you know happens on a fairly regular basis around uh, Southeast Michigan. But one of them was uh, a prototype of the the new uh, Jeep Wrangler, which uh, was now almost completely devoid of camouflage. You know, it only had the the black and white spotted wrap on it. They took off all the the heavy black camo on it, and. Um, had to wonder, you know, it's like, why did they even bother with the camo in the first place? Because it uh, looks just like a Jeep Wrangler. Well, it's good. I mean, it's yeah. continuity. People will yeah. be happy. Yeah. Um, and then on the way back from the event, um, I encountered a prototype of uh, the Hyundai Kona, which is their new uh, subcompact crossover uh, that's going to slot in below the uh, Tucson next year. And um, that's going to be available with a gas engine, but also um, as an all electric version, um, which is supposed to be uh, Hyundai's first uh, EV with a 200 mile range. So that'll be uh, interesting to see uh, to see how that one performs uh, with a big battery in it you know the kona makes me laugh because it's coming to market just in time for the jeep cherokee to abandon that kind of design language that they had with the the split headlights <laughs> here yeah. comes the kona and it's not the only hyundai uh, or kia that's going to have that that kind of front end on it either so uh it, it i just think that's an interesting point i wonder how parallel uh those designs were the jeep and the, the hyundai um you, you know how much inspiration they took from the Cherokee. Yeah, I mean, when I when I first saw it, I, you know, also it occurred to me that you know they were also taking a little bit of inspiration from the uh, the Nissan Juke, you know, which uh, you know, I mean, it, it's the orientation of its lights is quite a bit different, but it it also has you know this kind of dual lighting configuration with the one set of lights high up on the on the front end and on the fenders, uh, stretching back on the fenders and then the other lights down below on the lower, lower down on the fascia. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think so much of the juke. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I think that kind of thing is interesting. We need that kind of stuff to, to push convention a little bit. Um, so, cause you've got, you've got the Wrangler, which looks like a Wrangler, right? So now you've got yeah. the Kona that looks like nothing else. So that's I, right. You, so both ends of the spectrum in one day. And speaking of the other end of the Hyundai spectrum, uh, the uh, chief of uh, Genesis had some interesting comments this week. I love I, I mean, I can't tell you how much I love these these comments. Um, so it, it was uh, Hyundai Genesis. Hyundai and Genesis head of vehicle test and high performance, uh, Albert Bierman. Uh, and he basically just said. Uh, the technology that's in cars from BMW and Mercedes are all marketing and he called them stupid (laughs) and uh, basically said uh, Genesis we're not really offering that we've got maybe we've got adjustable shocks but uh, beyond that no super fancy performance technology that's going to break you're not going to find any air suspension no active roll bars and stuff like that Um, just a solid platform tuned well. And I, I can't argue with that because the last Genesis models I drove were as such. They were good. Like, yeah, well done. Yeah, just, you know, very, very, very well executed fundamentals. 
Yeah. Uh, it seems to have helped that they talked to Lotus for development of the, uh, I guess it's the G80 now, but it was just the, the Genesis that when they brought out this generation of the Genesis. Yeah. Um, the, sec- the second generation Genesis sedan, which became the G80. Yeah. And it, it like, it really made a difference. They got, they're, they're serious and it, it shows, um, you just look around the car and, and you see solid fundamental engineering from, you know, it's got cast aluminum front, uh, strut towers and, and stuff like th- those are serious uh pieces and they've they've reduced parts count for you know higher rigidity and um lower weight and just like all of those things that you would expect from a manufacturer like bmw or mercedes uh that's intent on building something that's that's that high performance and it's it's the same stuff you you open the hood of a jaguar we were just talking about jaguar uh that's the same kind of thing you're going to see under the hood of a jaguar is, right. is that kind of structure so uh, yeah, they're not fooling around. Yeah, and and Bierman was was speaking. You know, he was making these comments at the uh, launch in Korea of the new uh, G70, which is their smaller sedan, which is aimed you know directly at the the heart of the the compact you know premium sedan market with the the three series and um, the Audi A4 and the Mercedes C class. And uh, from initial impressions, been hearing from people, it sounds like it's really good. Uh, yeah. What do you, what do you think its chances are? Like Genesis is still kind of a non entity. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's always tough to, to launch a new brand from scratch. Um, you know, I think, you know, most people have no, no idea what Genesis is. Uh, you certainly still don't see very, at least around here, you don't see very many of them on the road. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to see how it does. I, I don't know. I have no idea how it's going to do. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's tough. You know, it's going to be tough launching, uh, you know, a third sedan, you know, into the market at this point in time when everybody's going to utilities. Um, you know, I think you know it'll probably do okay, but I, I don't think it's going to be a huge seller. I think you know the the one to watch is going to be when they uh, when they start bringing out their their SUVs under the Genesis brand next year. Yeah, well, that's what I, my initial thought was like, OK, the car is good. I, that pleases me. But they, they uh, clearly don't exist to please Dan. Um, they really do need to bring out utilities. They really need to rethink that. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, sh- they should get on it. Um, it. You know, for a long time, I I thought I was just going to, you know, when I was in like elementary school, I was like, I'm going to make my own car company. Let's <laughs> see how far that got me. Um, I, there's notebooks full of little designs that I think are still very interesting to look at. Um, but yeah, they, the sedan is, a, it's kind of like a conversation piece, I suppose. Um, and it, I think it's a way for them to build their credibility. You know, it's going to be maybe a tool for them to say, you know, we're the brand that took on the E-Class or the three series and look at how well we did because um, the cars are good and they know it and they know that they do stack up in, in a lot of ways against those firmly established European competitors. So if the G70 is, uh, you know, maybe sharper than the three series, um, a better value and, uh, you know, just as well made. I, and I expect it to be all of those things. Um, it, it's going to garner a lot of enthusiastic press coverage. Uh, beyond that though, like, they really need to put utilities in the showroom. They they need 
something in the the small and mid-sized crossover segment. And, and right. I think and, that'll and be they, the key. You know, they, they showed a concept this year at the New York show, um, which, you know, we'll see prob- a, probably a production version of uh, next year. Um, and, you know, I think we'll see a couple more utilities from them before 2020. Um, so, you know, over the next two or three years, we'll, we'll probably see at least at least two or three more utilities. Yeah. See, so uh, while I'm going to run the company by proxy and say, get on it, guys, get some utilities <laughs> out there um, and build me a supercar while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we had uh, we had one message uh, question come in uh, on Facebook uh, this evening uh, from Jeff Donsback uh, saying, what can be done to get people to put down their phones while driving? I saw so many idiots on my commute today, not paying attention, slowing down the traffic flow makes my blood boil. Um, yeah, Jeff and I share some of the commute, I think. So if it was me, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Uh, I mean, you could wrap the whole car in foil, um, which would block the cell signals. I really like the uh, what um, was it? Nissan that had the little sort of uh, RF uh, blocking compartment where you stick your phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the, I think it was Nissan that did that. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a. The thing is, you know, I mean, you can you can put a little, you know, Faraday cage, you know, where you stick your phone in um, in the car and you you can do all this stuff. But it all comes down to, you know, are people actually going to use it? You know, if people don't stick their phone in there, does you know, what's the point? Um, So, uh, you know, I I don't know. Um, I don't know that there you know, until we get autonomous cars, I don't know that there is anything that we can do about this problem. Um, yeah, and with, I mean, autonomous cars are just going to give people an excuse to, uh, like disconnect. It was interesting. I was listening to the, uh, the Autonocast and they just did, um, an interview, I think it's episode 24, uh, where they were talking about two different styles of autonomy, right? They're sort of like, uh, series autonomy and parallel autonomy and, and, um, everything that they're talking about with cars is, I think, parallel autonomy right so it's it's basically like the car drives and you ignore things versus like a more aeronautic approach where the human is there and engaged even though there's automated systems the the person is is there and paying attention and dialed in that's expected from highly trained people like pilots until we treat drivers like sort of with that level of importance on the skill i don't i don't think you're gonna see that kind of uh, desire or behavior to pay attention. Um, it's just not, not there. So even before we had, you know, cell phones and cars, you know, it was hard enough to get drivers to pay attention. Um, you know, dri- you know, humans just are, we're just not very good at, you know, most of us are just not very good at, at this task. Well, it gets repetitive. And I mean, that's why I, I that's why you take chances, right? That's like, that's why you start to drive faster and like, just yeah. cause you're trying to make it interesting for yourself. Um, which is a completely crappy excuse, but it's true to a certain degree. You're trying to entertain yourself because uh, otherwise it's dull. Um, and that's yeah. I so I don't I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of the things that like I actively force myself to ignore the phone, especially in stop and go, especially with the cars that, that have 
uh, cruise control systems that will follow traffic. You know, if I've got a mile of stop and go, I could very easily set the, the cruise and just have it grind through that while I surf the web. Not a problem. Yeah, that next week is going to be interesting for me because I'm going to be uh, for a couple of days. I'm going to be driving the um, Cadillac Cadillac CT6 with Super Cruise, uh, doing a, a road trip, uh, a two day road trip uh, from Cleveland to Chicago to Memphis. And, uh, you know, this is the first uh, semi automated system, you know, a level two system that is designed for actual hands off, hands off the wheel uh, operation. And, um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, what, you know, how, what it feels like to do that for an extended period of time. And, um, you know, just to see, you know, because because with that system, you're still eyes on and you're, you still have to stay engaged. You know, and there's a driver monitoring system that if you appear to not be paying attention to the road, um, you know, it will you know start alerting you with increasing, increasing aggression and eventually you know, if you don't respond, it'll bring the car to a stop. Um, and uh, I'll be curious to see how I feel after driving that for a few hours. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, like, did it make you angry? Did you actually love it? Uh, what the the flip side of it is? Um, I, I think another key, like, there's I don't know if there's really any good solution um, to keeping people off of their their devices. You know, it's this. A, we use the devices for things that get, have turned us all into dopamine addicts because you get that little, like, hit of, like, thrill that, you know, somebody liked your Facebook post or whatever. That's yeah. So that's one problem. Uh, just the way we use those things, it's a, it's a gratification thing. Um, I, there's, it's really hard to curb that uh, once that sort of becomes your behavior. Uh, I mean, just look around your office and see people doing it like at their desks at work and, and stuff. Um, and like you could make it you could make more incentive to telecommute. So you're trying to get cars off the road so that the roads are clearer. But I have a feeling that like if you clear one group of cars off the road, you're going to kind of replace it with another group. It's like, you know, the, the more lanes you make for traffic, the more traffic expands to fill them. You never you're never ahead of the curve. Um so, yeah, it, that that is quite uh, quite a chicken or an egg problem. And I feel like we haven't given an adequate answer, but um, nobody else seems to have one either. No, um, but, uh, you know, and, and we almost managed to get through the show without talking about autonomous cars for once. Almost. Uh, almost. You, yeah. you could take the train. You could it's especially yeah. here. You could take the train. Yeah. It's, and depending where you live, you know, that that is a, a, an excellent solution. You it's, you're free to use your phone there. Yeah, it's probably terrible. Um because if if you it's the problem is it's really tricky to take the train from suburb to suburb in a lot of places and this is one of those places because there's there's a few commuter rail uh lines but you can't go from line to line without going all the way into the city coming back out so uh good luck yeah. <laughs> with that um that kind of sucks but if you work in the city you should like have at it man take the train i would love a job where i could take the train um because like for, like I could actually get to work if I took the commuter rail and a combination of like the the uh, the green line in Boston, um, it would take me so long <laughs> and it would be so expensive every day. Uh, so, uh, you know, public transportation could improve. Um, 
and that, like that's the thing like the ride sharing bros they're trying to do that uh you know it's like well everybody you know you can you can uber pool and you could all meet at the same place and take the same vehicle <laughs> it's like great that's a bus <laughs> yeah um well i mean it could be you know micro transit you know uh depending yeah. on you know where you live now you know you have options like uh using using stuff like chariot um you know which is you know kind of you know part way in between um you know ride hailing and and a bus you know 15 passenger van but you use an app to reserve your seat and pay for your seat on there so you you know you always you always know you have a seat when the when the van gets there um you know how you know exactly what it's going to cost you um and um you know you, you have um more routes you know going to more places than buses typically serve so i mean there's you know there's there's a bunch of different alternatives and you know going forward there's going to be more and more different varieties of these services that you can try out as well yeah and i wonder if that becomes an incentive for employers too like they'll validate parking and they'll they'll pay for your your public transit and stuff too if if they offer a system like that too because it almost ensures or it, it helps to encourage you know uh, a, a worker to be in the office and, and like you're, you're removing one of those barriers right like oh yeah we'll provide transportation uh, it's, yeah well actually you know for chariot you know I, I spoke with uh you know i think back in like about our third or fourth episode i did an interview we had an interview with uh, oliva hobsaday the ceo and founder of chariot um and i spoke with him again about a month ago um and um you know like half of their business now is you know enterprise you know working with companies you know uh so you know rather than just individuals uh you know using the app you know to get a ride uh, they're actually you know they have companies contracting them you know to set up routes for their employees so that you know and and they're they're paying for it so the employees don't even have to pay for pay for the rides you know and they, they drop them off directly at their at their workplace uh and that way you know the employers don't have to deal with having parking you know don't have to have as much parking available for their employees they know you know that they're going to arrive you know more or less on time and and um you know there people aren't going to be having to struggle to find parking especially in in urban places you know places like uh like new york or or uh San Francisco, um, you know, so employers are increasingly taking advantage of these types of services uh, for their workers. Yeah. See, I mean, they, somebody already had an idea I just had. So there we go. <laughs> I, am, I would not survive in that uh, that industry. I'm not forward thinking enough. Um, so, yeah, there you go. All right. Or you could work from home, Jeff. Work from home. Yeah, right. That's what I do. Work Works for me. From home. Um, I could work from home a little bit, and then eventually they'd be like, we need to see you in the office. You must come in. <laughs> um, so, all right. Oh, that's 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 podcast 39, I think. We've we've done it. We didn't, yeah. you know, um, we didn't talk about the Mercedes EVs in Alabama and their EQ thing, but that leaves it for next time. Yep. Um, so, yeah, throw us some questions. Um, I will dig up some more of the old voicemails for next time as well, because those were entertaining. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys again with episode 40. All right. See you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.